Hey friends, Trisha Goyer here. Every week we are sharing true stories of ordinary people who have discovered hope and truth for God's word. This is the Walk It Out podcast. and welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer. Every week we're sharing true stories of ordinary people who have discovered hope and truth from God's word. Now, just to get started, I have a question for you. Have you ever been hurt by someone who you were trying to serve? Someone you're trying to reach out to and maybe offer encouragement or serve in a ministry capacity? I understand, and my guest understands too. I'll be talking to Terry Lynn Underwood in just a few minutes, but first I have a few stories of my own to share. Um, It's happened more than a few times, but there's two really that rise up in my mind that I think about, and that's really uh, made me think about what it means to walk out God, even when we don't get maybe the appreciation that we deserve. So the first time was um, my first nonfiction book came out and it was a book for teen moms. The title was Life Interrupted, The Scoop on Being a Teen Mom. I had been mentoring teen moms for a couple years at the point when this book released. I worked at Hope Pregnancy Center and we had a weekly support group. I loved working with these young women. I also connected with some young moms online. So This was in 2003, before Facebook, before Instagram. Um, There were some online support groups, and so I asked to join one of these and got connected with some young moms. I posted on their forum and asked if there was any young women who would be interested in being quoted in my book, and um, not all of them were Christians or followers of God, but I really just wanted to learn what young moms were struggling with. And so I sent out questions and they answered them. There's about a dozen young women from this forum and they are quoted in the book. And then also there was um, different threads where people shared their experiences. And if I came upon a quote or something that just was really good, I wrote that person and got permission to use their quote in the book. So not only was I quoting from and connecting with the teen moms in our local group, but also these friends online. Well, when the book came out, um, I was so excited to finally share this book with the young women. I sent a free copy. I had the addresses of all those who had given me a quote. So I was packaging up the books to send them in the mail. But um, at the time, I had the first chapter that was in a PDF. And I said, hey, if anyone wants to read the first chapter, I'll be sending out copies of this book to those who are quoted in it. And if there's any others that would like to read the book, um, and right away, people read the chapter and it blew up and not in a good way. So these young women saw their friends quoted, didn't understand the process that I went through, didn't understand I had permission and thought that I had got on there and were stalking them. And so I was getting threatening emails um, you know, saying they're going to take me to court and that I was invading their privacy. And um, I'm laughing now, but it was not funny at the time. I had 
parents and other family members sending messages on Amazon. I had these all these one-star reviews with all these horrible things said about me and I just was crushed. So here I was trying to reach out, trying to serve, trying to love these young women. And I got on there and I explained, you know, I asked permission and people sent me their responses and I asked to quote different people, um, but they were not listening. It was like a frenzy. People uh, read other people's comments and jumped in and um, soon it was just lots of hateful things were said. And I remember thinking, I am trying to serve and help and um, write a, a book for these young moms and the very people that I was trying to serve were extremely upset by this book. Um, a couple of people that had quoted had said no, she asked permission, but of course there were so many uh, people being leaving comments at that time. It was those comments were hidden in the mix. And then some of the ones that I had gotten permission for said nothing. I'm sure they didn't like being in the middle of it. I just remember being at a loss and talking to my agent, talking to the legal department. And even though I had done everything right, they said, you know, you just, you've already stated that you had permission and don't defend yourself. And that was one of the hardest things to do, not to try to keep explaining, try to make it up to people. Um, some, a few of the girls asked for their quotes to be pulled from the book, even though they had given us permission. So we did that on the next printing of it. But I remember just being so crushed that the people I had tried to serve were turning against me and really feeling like I was hurting them instead of trying to help them. Um, another time was even more recently adopting kids from hard places. You know, it's, it was a big challenge uh, for John and I when we opened our home. Um, you know, I gave up my office and library, which is totally worth it. I mean, there's no comparison, uh, you know, bringing kids into your family and having an office. There's just no comparison. But I remember, especially in the first few months, um, you know, every time that I tried to pour love out, it was often met by um, upset feelings or I didn't do something in the right way. I was often ignored or, um, you know, a couple of people would, a couple of young women would team up against me when I tried to uh, maybe, maybe discipline them. And it just, I remember feeling again, frustrated, like I'm trying to love you. <laughs> and looking back now, it's just the walls were up because they'd been hurt so many times. But in those moments, there's these times when we feel like we're trying to serve, we're trying to do our best, and people may not respond uh, like we want them to. We may feel discouraged. We may feel that we're not enough. Even harder is when it's people in the church, people that we want to serve. We know our followers of God, but maybe they um, don't see things eye to eye with us, or they may feel that we have shortcomings that they're not okay with. And we'll be talking about all those things today. And what does it mean to feel discouraged, to feel like you are giving your all and then coming to the point where someone else disagrees with that? And how does God's word play into that? What does it mean to walk out what God wants us to do, to walk out this loving and this serving and this giving, even when you're hurt in the process. So let me just introduce my guest in just a minute, and I will welcome you into this conversation that I'm having with my dear friend, Terry Lynn Underwood.
I am very excited to have my friend Terry Lynn Underwood here today. And this is how she described herself, but then I'm going to describe her a little bit. So Terry Lynn says she's a pastor's wife, a daughter, a granddaughter, and great-granddaughter. And she's passionate about God's word and its ability to transform lives because she's experienced that transformation herself. She's also an author. I'm holding one of her books in my hand, which I pulled off of my nightstand. And one of the books that she's written is Praying for Girls, Asking God for the Things They Need Most. But before I let Terry say anything, I just have to say, so I met Terry Lynn after a conference and we met at the airport or ride to the airport, but it's one of those people that I immediately fell in love with just her bubbly personality, just her interest in other people. You just tell like when she was talking with you that she was really caring and really listening. And um, she has just supported me so much as I've, uh, John and I have adopted these wonderful kids. And there has been times that I've just texted her and said, Terry Lynn, pray for us now. So I'm just so thankful that she is in my life. And she's like one of those real life people that um, I just appreciate and just really um, turn to when I need prayer. So welcome, Terry Lynn. Oh, thank you, Trisha. I was thinking um, when we met, was be- you had Alyssa, but not any of the rest of them. Right. Yeah. So right. we've adopted six kids <laughs> since we yeah. first met. You were just um, beginning the process of getting the two other two little ones. Yeah, isn't that amazing how God just has grown our family? And then it's it's been cool just to see what he's done in my life and in your life. And I mean, I think we, we were just barely talking about book ideas the first time we met for you. And now you have books that you've written. So I just love how when we continue to seek God, he he's there and he just takes us along this path. And I don't think you would have guessed the path that you were on. And I definitely didn't guess the path that I was on. <laughs> no, it's not what we expected, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and I want to share with this podcast, my goal is to really share kind of the heart of the matter and the things that we struggle with. You know, it's easy to talk about our books and our ministries and all the the highs in our lives, but I'd really love to share like turning points in our lives and times when God's word has really made a huge difference. And um, in the questionnaire I sent out, I asked you about a time in your life when maybe you really struggled or where God really used his word um, to really impact your life. And you talked about a time you were deeply, deeply hurt by the church's response. And I would just love for you to share a little bit about that story and what was going on during that time in your life. Well, I was, um, well, Scott, actually, let me go back. Scott was talking to a church about um, joining their staff. And we were praying through that. And um, so it was at the point where he was actually going to interview with them. And he called them and was telling them some things about me and about my past and some deeply personal things that we just felt like were appropriate to share before the process went any further. And after that phone call, the uh, church said they felt like it wasn't a good fit. And I think I'd always been prepared for that possibility, but when it actually happens, it's overwhelming and it just laid me out. I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a pastor's family. I really 
thought I had seen and heard everything, you know, (laughs) and I really didn't think anything could surprise me anymore. Um, But that just floored me. It really left me undone. And I actually looked at Scott and said, I really think you need to leave the ministry because I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep putting myself out there and be hurt like this over decisions and choices that I made 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really, really hard. And I can remember um, Scott was just crushed, not about the church, but about how devastated I was. And I went to our bedroom and I just laid down and I just was like, Lord, I can't do this. Um, If this is who your people are, then I don't want to serve them anymore. And I just remember hearing in my mind, the whisper of God saying, you know, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. And it was just these verses from Isaiah 43 that kept ringing through my head. And I was trying so hard to push them out, you know, and argue and say, no, that may be true, but they don't believe that. And if they don't believe that, I can't walk in that. And, you know, God just kept rolling those words around in my head until I finally kind of just had no choice but to say, I'm I'm going to take these words and I'm going to live these words. And it is not going to be about what people say about me or what they think about me. Um, I'm going to walk in the truth of who God says that I am. And it was just a pivotal moment for me. And also, I think, for my understanding of what it means to serve the Lord without the affirmation of others. Because I'd kind of always just been in that place where everything I did, people said, oh yeah, that's great. You should do that. You should keep doing that. And this was the first time that I had to make a decision that I was really going to serve the Lord without the support and encouragement of other people. And you talked about growing up. So you grew up in a pastor's family too? Yeah. (laughs) And so isn't, I mean, just in ministry, and I I mean, I did not grow up in a pastor's family. Um, I grew up, my, my mom became a Christian when I was in second grade and my dad, my stepdad that raised me never was a Christian. So I didn't understand that, you know, my growing up years, but in ministry, um, now that I'm an adult, it's just like all eyes are on you. I mean, what is that like? Um, did you ever feel that pressure of feeling like you had to be perfect and that you had to perform and that everyone was judging you? And then how did that impact, you know, years later when you're dealing with this rejection that you really felt? You know, um, I'm not just a pastor's daughter and wife. (laughs) My grandfather and my great-grandfather were also pastors. So within the context of my family, serving in the church and being, I guess people call it the fishbowl or, you know, that highly visible place, that was so normal because for generations it had been true that I don't think I ever, I don't remember feeling the weight of that. I remember my parents always being very clear um, that there was an expectation on us, but it was because we were leaders, not because my dad was on staff. You know, it was that God had called our family to this work. And because he had put that call on our family, then we had a responsibility to live that out. And I don't remember feeling the weight of that. And I, I wonder, and I have wondered since then, if if not ever feeling that weight before made it even harder when I was in that position at, you know, nearly 40, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, this place that had always been a safe place for me, no matter where 
anybody in my family had been serving, no matter what church it was in, no matter what area of the country we were in. I had always felt affirmed and loved by the people within the context of our church family. And so it was so foreign to me um, that the church could be so wounding. And um, I'd heard other people talk about it. <laughs> and I, I knew that it was real. But I think I really just felt like that wasn't my story. And so I was woefully ill-equipped to deal with that. <laughs> right. And I think it's so many, you know, I mean, who knows how many people were in that discussion, but it seems like we all the time want everyone's approval. <laughs> you know what I mean? So even if you have a community that loves you and supports you, um, it's the same as authors with book reviews. You know, we can have a hundred great book reviews and then we get one that just says something and it just is crushing. And I think just getting that that information from that church. Um, and, you know, I'm sure if you're surrounded by all these wonderful people who love you and support you, those words still wound. Um, so what encouragement would you have for someone that maybe has been hurt, hurt by the church that feels like maybe they can never measure up or um, don't know how they can open their hearts again up to you know, taking those steps of faith and extending themselves out to maybe someone who has wounded them. I think the one thing that I have come to understand, and it's not just true about church, I think it's true in every area of life. It's the place that we're wounded that has to be the place that we're healed. And it isn't, I don't mean that exact location, but if it's the church that wounds us, then it will have to be the church that opens the door to our healing. If it's marriage that wounds us, it's it's that relationship between husband and spouse that ultimately opens up the opportunity for us to be healed. Um, when parent, when children grow up with parents that are not loving and supportive and kind, it is that relationship for them between them and their children that often is the impetus for healing in their lives. And so I always tell people when you've been hurt by the body of Christ, the only way to find healing and wholeness is to go back to the body of Christ and keep being vulnerable and keep being available. Yeah, that is so good. And I just love how you talk about it was Isaiah 43 that brought you around again. And I've had those moments when I've been angry and it's almost like we want to just you know, like, it feels good in that moment to stay angry or to be mad or to, you know, and then a scripture verse will come to mind. It's like, Oh, rats. Like, God, like why did you have to bring that up? But the truth is that um, that scripture verse didn't just pop in there out of the blue. You've had time in God's word and you had time in Isaiah, you know, reading those words, understanding what they mean, probably teaching them. How does that ministry of just within yourself, uh, reading God's word and studying, how does that impact not only this situation, but other situations maybe that you found yourself in? I think when we engage with God's word, it always forces us to see him first and primarily. And so um, when I come to the Bible, I come to the Bible understanding that first and foremost, it's a book about God, not a book about me. And so I'm not looking for my place in scripture. I'm looking for the God of scripture and then trusting him to reveal his place to me, you know, and to reveal my place to me. And I think, Coming at it with that perspective, 
has allowed the Word of God to sink deeper in my heart and my mind than maybe if I was just kind of, I've got this problem, let me look up and find a verse that fixes it. You know, I think there's that that depth of study and recognition that when we come to God's Word, we're looking to understand Him. And as we understand Him, then we can understand ourselves. And like even that passage in Isaiah, if if you don't believe that God is sovereign and that God is in control of all things and has all authority, then Him calling you His isn't very confident. You know, it doesn't bring a lot of confidence. It doesn't give you the peace that it does to someone who says, you know, I, I believe that God is over all and in all and through all, and He's made it all, and it's all His. And so if He says, I'm His, I can rest in that. And I think it's that perspective on Scripture that makes it so much more powerful in the lives of some people than it does in others. Right. And I love the the messages in that those chapters or chapter 43 and especially the first verses. I mean, some of the words that are in there is um, it is I who created you. I formed you. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. I will be with you. I mean, it's just like over and over again. God's like, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. And I love that, that in the time when you feel that, you know, you felt that you were not enough, that God through that word that he planted in your heart and that you planted there and through the time and the study, God's like, you're mine. I have this, I have you. How did things change after that? Um, I mean, did you just pick yourself up and go, okay, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm God's. I never have to struggle with this again. Or where does it go from there? And where has God led you as you've walked this out? Man. um, No, it wasn't easy. Uh, I actually, two years later, I thought I was over it. Like I, I really thought I was fine. And I was like, we're good to go. You know, I, I'm, I'm walking in this truth. And I, we spent two more years serving at the same church that we were at that we just loved. And I was in my car on the way to speak at a women's event. And my husband called me and he said, hey, I'm going to meet with someone from that church. And I was like, okay, why? <laughs> why would you want to do that? And he said, you know, he goes, I feel like he goes, the the guy called me and, you know, he, he feels like that that situation wasn't handled well. And he wants to talk to me. And I feel like I, I owe them this opportunity to, to share what was going on that they didn't tell us then. And I was like, that's fine, whatever. (laughs) Like you go right ahead. I don't care. I'm going up here to, you know, teach God's word to women, you know? (laughs) And so, um, so Scott met with this this guy and they had this great conversation apparently and he called me back Scott did and he was like I want you to think about if you would be willing to be considered by them again for a position at their church for me to go serve at that church and I just immediately said no like I couldn't even think about it which is crazy because of of course God who can do that miraculous work in me can also do that miraculous work in others But in that moment, I was just frozen. And I told Scott, I was like, no. And he said, is that a hard no? Or like, are you going to pray about this? You know, where's, and I said, well, I'm going to speak, you know, at this event. And I really, I can't allow this to become a distraction for me right now. So I will deal with this when I get back home, you know? And, and so we agreed to that. And I was driving, I was in the, in Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains and I was driving. And I just remember thinking, I need to talk to my dad. 
And so I called my dad and I was like, you're not going to believe what happened. And my dad has always been on my side. Always, always, always been on my side. (laughs) And he said, have you really forgiven them? Wow. And I was like, of course I have. Can you not hear that I've forgiven them? I just don't (laughs) want to go be with them, you know? And he was like, I think you need to really ask yourself if you've forgiven them. And I just... I just thought, what in the world? Why is my dad saying this to me? Like, he's always on Team Terry Lynn, you know? (laughs) And I was, it was just, so I'm driving and I'm just thinking, I haven't really forgiven them because I haven't had to because I didn't have to see them. Right. So I just could put that to the side and then keep functioning in a place that was comfortable for me and not have to deal with the reality that these people had wounded me deeply and I had to be willing to allow them to speak into that wounding and trust that God was sufficient even in that. And it was very hard. I spoke that weekend. I went back home. I talked to Scott. He said, I had a great meeting with them. He said, I just really feel like we need to open the door to conversation with them. And it had been a couple of years and they still hadn't filled the position that they were talking to Scott about two years before. Like God had still not put anybody in that place. And um, so I was like, okay, I don't really know what to think. I don't really know how to feel. So I am just going to choose to submit to you in this. Like I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so all I knew was that I trusted God and I trusted my husband to seek God's face. And I just walked in that. And bizarrely, we ended up serving at that church for several years. Um, some of the very people who were on the committee that decided not to have us come the first time became some of my best friends. Wow. Um, in fact, everyone that was on that committee, we were deeply connected to within that church and dearly loved those people. And it was like God needed me to come face to face with the fact that moving on is not the same as forgiving, you know, and that if I was going to believe that I belong to God and that he had redeemed me, then I also had to believe that other people could be redeemed by him too, you know, and that I could walk through a fire and not be burned. And that's what it felt like. When we went to that church, I was terrified. I thought, I can't try. I'll never be able to trust these people with my heart. I will never be able to open up to these people. And time and again, God was like, are you going to walk through the fire with me and trust me or not? What are you going to do? And over and over and over again, I felt like I was stepping into the flames and God was showing me that I could walk through fire and the hardest place in my life and that he would so protect me that I would not even burn. And that I would not be consumed. And it was the most beautiful place of healing for me because I learned what those verses mean in a whole new way two years later than I thought I knew what they meant the night I was crying on my bed saying, God, you know, what are we going to do? I love that. Now, I have a question. Did anyone ever approach you and apologize or bring that up? Um, Because sometimes we feel feel like we can only forgive people if they're, you know, willing to come before us and repent or (laughs) ask for forgiveness. I mean, how did that play out um, with you and and Scott serving in that church? 
no one ever directly apologized to me. Um, there were two people who apologized to Scott and asked him to relay that apology to me. Um, so that was really weird, right? <laughs> because it, it really, really hurt me. And, and yet I had to realize that it was, you know, five or six people in a church of four or 500. Right. And so was I going to go into this church knowing that, you know, 1% of the people in that church had been involved, you know, in this whole thing too. Most, nobody else even knew. I mean, nobody else even had any idea that they had talked to Scott two years before. They, they hadn't. So I walked in with my guard up and it made no sense to anyone, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And I think it goes to show that we can still forgive even if, you know, people don't approach us because it's, it's not like God says, forgive 70 times seven if they approach you and ask your forgiveness or, you know, want to make things right. It's, it's really a matter of us. We're giving it over to God. We're saying, God, you handle this. You take care of this. Um, I know you're going to take care of my heart. And um, I know that you're working in someone else's heart too. And so it's really turning it over to him. It is. And I think it's also this, um, the more we realize how much God has forgiven us, the harder it becomes to demand someone else's apology. You know, <laughs> like right, I exactly. in my flesh, I want people to say, we were terrible to you and we can't believe you came, you know, and we would never have done this. And, you know, I mean, like I wanted to be the hero, right? In my flesh. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted people to think, man, look at her. What, what kind of ability she has to trust God and whatever. But nobody knew what was going on. So nobody could look at me. I was a hero. Like God kept saying, you're not a hero here. You know, you, all you've done is obey me. I'm the hero. You know, I, I'm the one who's going to receive the glory for this. I'm the one who's, you know, no one's going to, it was kind of that thing where I felt like God was saying almost to me, no one's even going to know your name, but your testimony is going to be me and my name's going to be made known. And that's a, that's a hard thing for somebody like me who loves the stage, you know, right. <laughs> and I, Hello. <laughs> I mean, you know, I give me a place to, to share and to talk and to teach and to perform even. And I am thrilled. And so for God to just say to me, I want you to step back out of the limelight. And, and I stayed there in that place of not being in front for several years at that church. I think even when, when you and I met, we'd been there for about three years at that church at that point. And even when we met, I was still in a place where God was very intentionally holding me back. Um, the conference where we met actually was the last conference I attended for like three years. I mean, I didn't leave. God just brought me totally home and said, you're going to stay here and you're going to serve your family and you're going to serve this church. And I'm going to teach you what it is to love people no matter what. And you're not going to receive glory and nobody's going to remember your name because you're going to step out of everything, you know, and this little online platform that I had worked so hard to build and these relationships that I'd worked so hard to cultivate. So many of them 
just disappeared because out of sight, out of mind, right? You know? Right. Yeah. And so, but then what God brought was people like you that became not online friends, but like real soul sisters that I could say, man, I don't even want to move today, much less do anything for the kingdom of God, you know, and who would say, totally get it, but you got to get up anyway, you know, (laughs) and it was that. And I, I learned so much in that season about how to let God be the hero of the story. And I don't think I could have learned that. I just, I don't think because of my personality and everything in my past, the way it all worked together, all of my experiences, all of my natural wirings, even all of the gifts that God has given me, all of that has always propelled me to the front. And so God had to strip away all of that to to put me in the back so that I could see how beautiful the view is when it's just God in front of you. And as hard as it is, um, I'm going to bring up your book, Praying for Girls. As hard as it is, we know that our girls are going to have to go through these seasons. And as much as we don't want our kids to face rejection and face hurt and face pain from the world and from the community and from friends and from the church, um, sometimes we know that God is going to use that in amazing ways. And um, your book, Praying for Girls, what I love, and I love praying these prayers for my girls. And I know you have a beautiful teen daughter, and I have uh, many <laughs> beautiful teen daughters in my home and little girls too. But uh, one of the chapters, uh, chapter 14, it just resonates. What you're saying is on humility. And the subtitle of the chapter is, May She Exhibit the Humility of Christ in All Her Relationships. And then one of the prayers is, um, Lord, just as John the Baptist prayed, he must increase, but I must decrease. May my daughter, insert name, have the same desire. May she long to see your name known and may her desire to point others towards you and not towards herself. And that's from taken from John 3.30. And it's hard as mamas that we have to go through these things knowing that our girls are going to have to go through these things too, but that's why they need our prayers. They need to see our example. And uh, your daughter was walking right there through you, you know, through that with you. Um, And she was seeing your example. And you may not know for years how that impacted her seeing Christ in you, even through a hard season. I think, yeah. And I, I think that's so true. It also, when we go through those hard seasons, if we are, honest with ourselves even about them. Um, It opens the door for us to share things with our girls that are very painful and uncomfortable, you know, and when Cassidy a few years later went through a very difficult season of feeling rejected and unaccepted, there was that sense of, I had to make a choice. Was I going to tell her my story and not be the hero mom, you know, (laughs) but point her to the hero God. Right. I mean, I had to make that choice. And also, when our girls are going through hard things, our natural inclination is to make it stop or to fix it or to get in between them and whatever the hard situation is. And time and again, God has shown me that most of the time when He allows those things in their lives, it's not for us to get in the way. It's 
because he's preparing them, you know, and I, in the book, I talk about raising steadfast daughters and what that looks like. And sometimes I think I've gotten in the way of the work that God was doing to sanctify my daughter, because I don't want her to have to go through that. I just want her to learn these lessons without ever having to experience the difficult times that often teach us the lessons. And sometimes they learn from our experience, but sometimes they learn from their experience. And God is allowing things in their lives that are going to be painful and hard so that they can come to see Him the way we see Him as the God who cares and who is present. And I think just as a mom, that is my biggest struggle is to allow the sanctification process to happen in my daughter without jumping in to try to make it easier for her or to slow it down or to keep it from happening. Do you feel that way? Cause you have older kids too. Like, isn't that hard? I do. It is so hard to see them going through stuff, but I found with the older kids too, when they um, are at the end of themselves, that's where they find God in even deeper ways. And so I've, you know, some kids that are struggling right now with different things And, but to see them like turn to God and seek him and cling to him, even in their pain, it's like, it hurts, but it also makes this mama heart so happy to see that they are turning to God, you know, because so many people walk away from God when pain comes. And just to know that our kids are turning to God in the hard stuff, um, and we never know the foundation that that will be for their lives. So it is hard, but it's good all at the same time. And um, it's hard when we go through stuff, whenever I, I face something I always think to myself, God, you love me more than anyone. And if you're allowing me to go through this, um, I know it's for a reason. And um, I know it's for our kids too. Sometimes, you know, God loves them even more than us. And sometimes it's for a reason or it's always for a reason, but um, we may not be able to see it immediately or even 10 years down from the road, but know that God is doing his sanctifying work. So I just love that. And I love you. And I just appreciate all the times when I've texted you <laughs> late at night to pray and to know that you were. And I know that um, that you're a praying person. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your book, Praying for Girls. It's a resource that I turn to. And I encourage other people out there to check it out. So um, I just have to ask, Terry Lynn, what is this season looking like for you right now? So if I were to pop over to your house this week, where would I find you and what are you up to? Right now you would find me in the closet because literally it's the best place to record. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you would find my house in chaos. We Last October was a crazy month. You and I were both in New York a couple of weeks ago for a conference and I had been at another conference the weekend before. My husband did revivals. My daughter was on homecoming court at her high school. Um, Scott changed jobs again in October. He's at a new church now. I mean, it's October was so crazy. And this week I am leaving again on Thursday to go to Nashville for the National Women's Leadership Forum. Um, and I'm really excited about it because I know it will be very filling and encouraging. And I, I, I go to a lot of conferences and a lot of events where I speak. So I always like to go to some where I'm not speaking and can just, you know, be filled. Um, but I'll be honest, if I had uh, bought the ticket for this, if I hadn't bought the ticket for this event before all the other things were on my schedule, I would not be going this week because everything in me just wants to stay home and just, you know, be here with my people because it has been a crazy, crazy six weeks for us. And, um, so my house is a wreck. I cooked last night, um, for the first time in what felt like forever. And, um, I, I won't cook again this week <laughs> cause I'll be gone. 
And so it's weird. And, you know, my daughter is a senior and that is crazy and brings its own set of challenges. I did her financial aid form last night online. I was like, this is, how did we get here? You know, how did you have a senior too, right? Yeah. It's crazy. How did we get here that we're like filling out financial aid forms and applying to colleges and she has no idea what she wants to do. And I was not that girl. I was the kid who knew what I wanted to do when I was in fifth grade. You know, like I was on a mission and she is my opposite. She's like, I don't know. I'm just going to go to take some classes and see what strikes me. And I'm like, no, you have to know. <laughs> you know? So it's just, um, it's a crazy season. And I am, I think what God is teaching me in this is to hold, um, hold things lightly, hold things loosely, you know, and take the schedule and let it, let it be fluctuating if it needs to be and, and be okay. Like I'm learning about spontaneity and, um, you know, that it's okay to just say, you know what, tonight we're just going to go do something fun and we'll get to the rest of everything that needs to be done later. But now I will say this morning my vacuum broke. And so that was a moment for me because I was like, my house is a wreck and my vacuum is broken <laughs> and payday is not till Thursday. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> you know, thinking, okay, can I go buy a new vacuum? You know, I mean, like, it's crazy because I just feel like, I don't know. It's just life. Right. And then like the broken vacuum, I just thought, Oh no, I can't clean my house because obviously you can't clean your house if you can't run the vacuum. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do any of this. I guess I'll watch this is us. You know, I mean, I don't know. And so, um, yeah, if you came to my house right now, you would find somebody who is just learning what it is to, to just cherish moments and not um, live and die by the to-do list. Mm, I love that. I just uh, listened to Jill Savage on Focus on the Family, and she said, we want perfect, but God is perfecting us. And sometimes it's things like broken yeah. vacuums. that's <laughs> yeah, perfecting yeah. us, and we can't get perfect. Yes, it's so true. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple okay. questions. We're just going to do some rapid fire questions to wrap it up. So what book are you currently reading? Ooh, I just finished reading People by Ann Bogle. It is so good. It's about personality typing. And I, you know, I'm all about that. So I love that. And I am reading right now um, Lisa Whittle's book, Five Word Prayers. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's so, so good. Um, I have I do have five word prayers. Yeah, I have that one. Oh, I haven't read it Trisha, yet. I've decided to give it to everybody for Christmas. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't know anybody who wouldn't be encouraged by that, especially those of us who are, you know, just in kind of a frantic season of life, you know, where it feels like we just don't have bandwidth to do a lot of big things. And this feels so doable. And so when I sit down with it, it's just like, I don't know, it's just calming. It's just so calming because you know, I like to play with words, but sometimes putting five words together feels like a real accomplishment. So yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. And I'm absolutely loving it. I love it. Okay. What song resonates with you? Ooh, um, Travis Cottrell has a song. I don't know who else does it. I have no idea, but it's called um, Anthem or Hope Anthem maybe. And like, there's this bridge in it that just says, let hope arise, let hope arise. 
Oh, I love it. And then also on Sayla's newest album, they have a song called People of the Cross and it leaves me undone. Like when I listen to it, I'm just weeping about being people of the cross. And what does that mean to be a person of the cross? I love that. Okay, I'm going to go look those up. (laughs) All right. Finally, last question. What's one habit you wish you could break? Oh, gosh. There's a lot of those. Um, (laughs) My family would say they wish that I could break the habit of crunching ice when I'm stressed. (laughs) Um, Because I do. I think really the one that I would want to break is hitting the snooze. You know, I just... It's just a habit. Like I'm awake when my alarm goes off, but I just hit the snooze out of habit. And then it just kind of pushes everything back. And so by the time I, you know, I get up, it's only nine minutes later, but I feel frantic. So I think like the one habit I really wish I could break. I really thought somebody said, move your alarm, you know, across the room, because that makes it harder to hit the snooze and get back in bed and all that. And I'm kind of seriously debating if that's what I need to do. <laughs> or, just, or just move it, move it nine minutes ahead. Oh, yeah. So you could See, I would know that, and then I would still. <laughs> you would, then you hear it twice. Myself. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, thank you, Terry Lynn. I am so glad that you were here again. I just want to mention her book, uh, "Praying for Girls." Um, check it out. And then, Terry Lynn, where can people find you and connect with you online? Um, TerryLynnUnderwood.com is the easiest way. And then, if you are a girl mom and you are interested in praying scripture based prayers for your daughter every day, you can check out prayersforgirls.com. We have a free printable prayer calendar every month. And right now, we're praying for our daughters to be true worshipers. Mm, I love that. I did not know about that. So, I'm going to definitely go print that up. That is awesome. So thank you, Terry Lynn. Thank you for being oh, here. Oh, thank you, Trisha. Thank you for let, inviting me. And also, thank you for being my friend. For real. I, I mean oh, that. I think- thank you for being my friend. It's a joy. It's, <laughs> well, you it's know, just such a gift. You know you can continue to get text messages yes. from me, right? More text messages yes, and prayers. I love it. I love it. <laughs> wow. I'm so thankful for Terry Lynn. I'm so thankful for her just pouring out her heart and sharing with us. Maybe you're like Terry Lynn. Maybe you've been hurt by someone by a family member, by the church, maybe like me, you've been hurt by people that you've tried to reach out to and minister to. My encouragement, just like Terry Lynn said, is to offer forgiveness. And maybe you could even ask God, have I really forgiven this person or the situation and turn it over to God, lift it up and give it over to God and let him handle it. I love how Terry Lynn shared that sometimes the places where we're hurt the most are the places we need to return to so we can find healing. And I pray that you will find that today, friends. You will find healing for those hurt places in your life. Because when you're willing to be vulnerable and to reach out, to be willing to find healing, to give forgiveness, that God is really able to meet you there. I know he's done it so many times in my life and he's done it in Terry Lynn's life. So I pray that that's what you will walk out this week, that you will be willing to forgive and to give all your hurts over to God. Today's podcast is brought to you by Walk It Out, the radical result of living God's word one step at a time. And the publisher is David C. Cook. And this is an excerpt from my chapter on welcoming the vulnerable ones. 
You should see the looks John and I get when people hear my grandmother has lived in our home for 17 years. The looks of disbelief transform into utter shock when they also learn we've adopted seven kids, most of them from foster care. Are you crazy, people ask, and the looks in their eyes speak even louder. You are fools. Yes, we're foolish enough to believe we can make a difference in the world. We're foolish enough to believe God can do what the world says cannot be done as we pile nearly a dozen broken, hurting people into one home and expect not only to survive, but thrive. We're foolish enough to believe our pursuit of justice and kindness for those who didn't do anything to, to deserve their fate will reflect God's love in ways nothing else can be seen. Now Walk It Out is available online at your favorite online retailer or in your local Christian bookstore. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.